0: welcome to help from future self
1: hey archons welcome to another episode of help from future self it's the conversational keyforge podcast by and for keyforge pals all around the world je m'appelle scuzzy gruen also known as alex i am joined this week as always by my good friend my coach my keyforge companion in this game of life it's boulevard blake what's going on blake
0: Hey, man. Wow, I I appreciated that French because I I am pretty much the French connoisseur right now in the world of KeyForge. in case you didn't know.
1: Uh Oh, we'll talk about that in just a moment. But first, I want to make sure that we introduce a returning guest to the podcast after her her triumphant appearance just a (laughs) couple of episodes ago. It's S.C. Steele. How's it going, Sydney?
2: Pretty great. Glad to be here.
1: Uh, we're so glad to have you back. We had such a great response to your first appearance on the podcast that Blake and I were chatting. We were thinking, man, we we need to get Sydney back, and we want to have a nice, fun topic to discuss uh, when we do that. But with that said, a couple things that we wanted to address off the top, Blake, you mentioned getting some French language product in your in your hot little hands.
0: Yes, I did. Uh, I am I am the go to guy right now for the worlds collide french displays uh if you're interested in getting some worlds collide french displays uh hit me up uh you can reach me on twitter or actually probably email is the best which is boulevard paper fight right now It's blvd paper fight at gmail.com if you're interested in 25 dollars us for a display of worlds collide plus shipping to wherever you are send me an email and i will connect you with how to get that
1: A wonderful deal and a a very culturally uh, balanced one that really represents uh, some of the wonderful, unique culture of Canada, our access to French language product. Do you have any foreign language decks, Sydney?
2: I actually was just gifted one by um, Archon's Corner. It's an Italian deck and it has my name, well, our last name, Steele, in the name. So they decided to uh, gift it to us.
1: That's really Oh,
0: that's awesome.
2: Yeah.
1: Uh, so, uh, before we get into today's topic, it's probably worth mentioning the fact that coming up very, very shortly is going to be the release of the brand new set, Dark Tidings. Um, myself and Blake have been trying to stay relatively spoiler free on it because we thought it would be fun to go into a set without having already learned what all the cards are in the set. Have you been reading, uh, lots of spoilers for it, Sydney, or are you staying pretty much in the same realm that we are somewhere in between those two poles?
2: I'm basically consuming as many spoilers as possible.
1: All right, so, so no spoilers, but how are you feeling about the set? What's the general vibe you're getting for it?
2: I'm actually super excited. So I don't want to spoil anything with you, but they, they've they introduced uh, a new mechanic. I don't know how much you guys know, but I'm, I'm interested to see how that mechanic interacts with non-Dark decks.
1: I love to hear that, and it's really wetting my appetite, but also has not spoiled anything, so I'll still be able to... have an appetite for my supper when those uh, decks drop and we get them into our hands. Definitely going to have to set up some games between the three of us, Rick, anybody else who wants to be a part of it. I think just as we play the game of discovery with the brand new set, but we're not here to talk about dark tidings today. We wanted to go with a straight up, very basic, but very fun topic for this week. Uh, So what we did was we threw it to out to uh, each of the people on the podcast this week, pick two of your favorite decks and they have to be two like decks that you really enjoy playing, that you keep returning to over the course of your Keyforge career, but not your most competitive ones. So what are the decks that aren't necessarily ones you would ever play in a tournament, but that you really enjoy playing? And what is it about them that you like? And we're going to start things off by throwing it over to you, Sydney. Tell us about one of your absolute favorite decks that you've been playing.
2: So... I actually gave a bit of a preview of this deck on the last episode I was on. This deck is the deck that I played at the Sealed Vault Tour at Gen Con. I opened it, and we had the option of picking three, and I went with this one right off the bat, because not only does it have a help from future self, but it has a legacy Neurosiphon. So the uh, name of this deck is, oh, this pronunciation, Thumper (laughs) Nen Minaret Experimentor. But it's definitely a deck that I come back to because it was fun in the memories and in the actual play.
1: So I'm curious about this one, because just looking at the general card list for it, I sort of get like, oh, this feels like a very middle of the road, like AOA deck. And I wasn't 100 percent on like how exactly it would play in practice. How do you find that it, it plays on the table?
2: It's actually the speed of it that does it some justice. So with uh, Help from Future Self in Logos and Neurosiphon and Wild Wormhole, with the Merkins in Shadows, it actually gets to play a lot of cards very quickly.
1: Interesting. And so it's the speed that sort of gets it going. It also knows that it looks like it has like a fair bit of amber uh, printed on it as well.
2: Yes, that's for sure. And one of the things that it really does is it combos well within the houses, so like um, in Mars, the uh, Mother Gun and Sky Booster Squadrons actually make for a fantastic repeat set of turns.
1: Really? So mm-hmm. explain how that lays out.
2: So the um, Artifact Mother Gun says that uh, actually reveal any number of Mars cards from your hand, deal damage to a creature equal to the number of Mars cards revealed that way. And the uh, two Sky Booster Squadrons are creatures that read Reap, return Sky Booster Squadron to your hand. So if they're on the board, they can each reap, which gets me to Amber, and then I can return them to my hand. And whether or not I have other Mars cards in my hand, Mother Gun will deal damage to opposing creatures. So it's a, it's a great combo that I can I end up pulling off pretty often.
1: I like that one. It's a fun one. I like one. that one a lot, too. That's a cool-looking deck. I always like it when a deck looks a little bit unassuming and then a little bit below the surface it's got some hotness. Absolutely. Blake, why don't you tell us about one of your favorites?
0: Well, for me, uh, this is a newer deck that has become one of my favorites. And not only one of my favorites, but my my friend who I play with, IRL, who never comes out to our games. He's just my friend who happens to take up Keyforge with me when we hang out. I give this one to him to play quite frequently. And I think it actually jumped in the most recess, recent uh, SAS update, actually. Now I'm looking at it. It's called Palpa Spawn Library Baker. I just call it Library Baker. And the gist of this deck is... It has three essence scales (laughs) with a Z-Force agent. And the key thing about this, as well as in Logos, it happens to have a hide that has a draw pip on it. So when you use essence scale to basically destroy a creature to use another, I'm looking to destroy hide because then it has a high chance of going into my archives. So I can I have this really good way of repeating it since it says when it's destroyed you put um, if one is in the discard if one is in your discard pile and then vellum gets destroyed afterwards and they both go into my archive so it's a it's a really nice way of getting that repeat effect with them so they're really good candidates for essence scale wanting to use logos because I'll get to get them back and then on top of that it happens to have. Two Brabbles and two Inspectors, which both have great destroyed t- triggers. One's obviously the Inspector, your opponent purges a card at random from hand, and then Brabble as your opponent loses one. Uh, on your turn, three if it's their turn. So they're like my prime targets in disc to go with. And then not to mention, it has a Stirring Grave with an Infernus, which is a really fun play if you just drop your Infernus, Essence Scale it, stir and grave it right afterwards it, it creates this fun little combo so it's a really combo-y deck and it has a speed of 18 so it cycles a lot and um and yeah the z-force is kind of just like a, a bonus i don't think i ever really utilized the z-force aspect it's more throwing them on something else to cycle because this deck likes to cycle and, and it has those house cheating shenanigans which is um as many people probably know my favorite aspect uh in a deck is house cheating shenanigans
2: do you find that it has a lot of consistency with all the duplicates in this?
0: Oh, the consistency is ridiculous. <laughs> it's so <laughs> consistent. And not only that, between Double Eclectic Inquiries, Lethalogicas, and then on top of it, you have Hide and Vellum that are doing cycling. You also have both the Aliens or Fight, look at the top three. So between that and then you have... Um, Scout Pete and then Subject Kirby, the ability to just like churn through your deck is very easy. In fact, I have to be very cautious about not cycling too quickly because sometimes I'm trying to look for that hide and vellum combo. And if I don't realize, oh, I need to actually call logos here or... Or my disc here to blow up one of my my uh, my hide because Vellum's in there, or vice versa. I sometimes miss that, and then realizing I miss that opportunity to put them into my archives before I flip my deck. So that's something I have to be very cautious because it does cycle so quick, quickly. And when my friend plays it, he like when I told him like I think this used to be like a sixty four sass, and it just jumped up, and it's it goes off like it's such a fun deck. It's a uh, it's been pegged as part of my gauntlet decks to determine if a deck cuts the mustard or not. And I think that's what I'm going to be doing with Dark Tidings is throwing it through a gauntlet.
1: Nice. Interesting deck. For my part, I pulled out for this one one of my old, old, old favorites. This was probably my favorite deck in my collection during the Code Era. Not my most powerful by any stretch of the imagination, but I will always have a soft spot in my heart for the Misses of Innerham, Um, a Brobnar Logos Untamed deck. And the reason that I love this one is I never have a term when I don't feel like I'm doing something fun with it. So in Brobnar, it's got some interesting stuff. Um, One of my favorite OG combos in Brobno, it's got Loot the Bodies with Champion's Challenge. Um, Those of you who've been listening to the podcast for a long time know that I'm a big fan of Champion's Challenge as a board clear. But being able to combo that up with Loot the Bodies or with the Looter Goblin, who is also in this deck, means that you can get some really decent burst inside of uh, Brobnar. In Untamed, um, you've got a few just like good, solid meat and potatoes Untamed cards, uh, stuff like Hunting Witch, uh, your Dust Pixie, Nature's Call, Lost in the Woods, Key Charge, like all the nice good, solid things that uh, make Untamed what it was in the code era. It's also got a couple of other things that are kind of interesting, like save the pack and cooperative hunting, so you can do some sort of selective board clearing if you have to. Um, but honestly, what makes kind of the whole deck for me is the fact that it in, in the Logos house, it's got reverse time, which means that very frequently I'm getting that card and I'll throw it back if I get it in my first hand, about mid-game. And that means that any cool, fun, or interesting thing that I've already done in the first half of the game, I can give some consideration to whether or not I'm interested in doing it again. And that's kind of what I love about this deck. It plays a little bit unpredictably, but once you actually know it and know how it plays... Having that decision to, do I want to repeat a bunch of the stuff I've already done? Does it look like my opponent has already exhausted their means to deal with that stuff? Or was it very productive for me and I'd like to do it again? I really like that. Mm. Do
2: you find you get the key charge off often?
1: Yeah, very frequently, I would say. Um, the fact that it generates Amber pretty decently, both in Brobnar and Untamed, um, as well as having like the ability to do Nature's Call with uh, you know Dust Pixie and Hunting Witch, um, I find very frequently that it goes off. I will say with this one that I wish there was a little more stuff in Logos since it's a lot of Logos creatures and then some Rocket Boots. So I'm almost always putting the Rocket Boots over onto like Looter Goblin or something mm. else like that where I can get a little more value out of it. But uh, just a really fun-to-play deck from the Coda era.
0: I was wondering if um, you've been playing this recently because it does have a low creature count and I've noticed lately lower creature counts without some sort of uh, artifact tricks of sometimes fallen by the wayside. Have you been playing it recently since the mass mutation board presence has kind of taken over or not so much?
1: Uh, I haven't played a huge amount of it recently, but I did dust it off to play a couple of games before this episode so that I could really sink my teeth into what it was that I really liked about it. And, you know, speaking to your point, it got walloped a couple of times, but it also (laughs) because it has ways of dealing with board both through cooperative hunting save the pack um uh, you know ability to get stuff back up off the board champions challenge it, it's actually deals with bigger bigger boards pretty well and the nice thing about having a low creature count and also the ability to recur uh, using reverse time is i don't really care if i have to blow out my own board
0: mm, okay and um i can't also help but notice that it has a fairly low ember control um do you have a, a do you have to go into a different mindset when you play this knowing that you're only going to have a couple opportunities to really take your opponent off check or do you not worry about that concept and you just focus on your own game plan i'm curious how you approach the low ember control since it is one of your favorites
1: honestly when i play this one i don't think about amber control i'm just <laughs> russian trying to either stymie my opponent's plans or uh try to get to my own keys so Oftentimes, you know, when I get blown out, it's oftentimes because my opponent generates a bunch of amber very quickly and I don't have my interdimensional graft in hand. Hmm. Okay. Interesting. Sydney, tell us about another favorite of yours.
2: So another one that I brought to the table is Crosset of the Expert's Boathouse. And uh, this one is a come-from-behind deck. And sometimes I'm just in the mood to be the underdog. It has a lot of amber control but sometimes it just can't pull off the early keys. So it can let an opponent play a lot of Amber, get a lot of keys going. And then after it has enough Amber, too much to protect is super intimidating. It doesn't necessarily always go off because the only ways that it has to take the opponent off key if they already have six is Hugger Mugger and Ronnie. Mm -hmm. But with too much to protect, they try not to go too far above six. So it it keeps them at bay as we try and get Amber.
1: Mm-hmm. I think the interesting thing about having the double too much to protect is it's double the chances that you have it in hand at any given time, if they haven't seen it yet, which is a nice psychological aspect, like one too much to protect. I roll the dice on that all the time. If I'm looking at my opponent's deck list, I'm like, ah, they still got like 12 cards in their, uh, you know, in their, in their draw pile. Maybe I'll chance this one 2 I'm basically guaranteeing at any given time that they have one in hand or in their archive.
2: Yeah, the reason I picked this deck for the fun side of things is more than once, I've actually too much to protect it, had my opponent too much to protect me after that, and then I too much to protect them back. And that is too fun fun fun. to not play.
0: And you have a graft as well, so you have a lot of ways of stopping that really aggressive uh, going ahead. Absolutely. Have you had a lot of... I I also like this deck because it has the double Garcia and, and Eddie which also makes too much protect a lot more valuable because they're forced to go above six, which means you get that value sometimes, I think, just out of um, those cards being present. Do you you find that's a thing that happens or not so much?
2: What I've been finding recently, actually, is that there have been a lot more board-controlled decks out there. People are making sure that they have something in their deck that can get rid of power three creatures. So it's been Mm. a little bit harder to keep Garcia and Eddie on the board. But it's good for a single turn to get them off-key, knowing that they either have to wait a turn or risk me having it too much to protect.
0: Right, so it's like a game of chicken at that point. Yep. I love it.
1: Very nice, very nice indeed. Uh, Why don't we hear another one from you, Blake?
0: Well, this deck is no stranger to Scuzzy, I can tell you that much. <laughs> you probably saw the name and knew what was going on right away. <laughs> so this deck has one of the greatest names out of decks that I own, and it's in the probably first top decks, first top 10 decks I ever purchased. And it's called Nagging Osfrid of the Fort.
1: Yeah, I know so, this
0: one. <laughs> yeah, it's a Vravnar Shadows Untamed. And the reason why this deck I really like is I haven't played in a while, but it will never ever get sold, because this was like my <laughs> very first combo deck. And I have great memories of of Alex basically asking me, can you play this deck again? And him on a mission to beat it. Because at the beginning, when we first started playing, I remember you struggled with that. Mm-hmm, totally. And what this deck does is it's got the Sting with a Key Charge and Chota, and then happens to also have a Grasping Vines and a Regrowth So uh, and Witch of the Eye, so ways you can potentially recur those things. And then it also has two Miasmas, which feel sort of counterintuitive when you have the Sting out. But it also buys you time um, if its sting hasn't come out yet, type of thing. Um, that's the, the ever, main thing.
2: Do you feel that you ever use the action destroy the sting or do you just wait for your key cheats to come out?
0: I honestly don't think I, once it's out, I don't really use it. And if anything, I'll grasping vines it out of the way. Nice. Yeah, that's the one great thing about Grasping Vines is it combos the Sting off. And the Snek Lifter is, is nothing to slouch at either, especially in this day and age. I'm excited to kind of give this. This was up for contention for the ABR this week as my um, adaptive deck. It was in contention with another deck that I ended up going with. But the fun thing about this deck as well is the, the Brobner House is one of my favorite here because it has Pile of Skulls, which I think is one of the best Brobner mm-hmm. Amber Control cards and then it obviously has Earthshaker and Hebe the Huge, which just basically means you can do a ton of damage to your opponent's creatures in destruction, and basically the pile of skulls is going to go off hard. And then on top of that, you have um, the fun thing of double Gauntlet of Command and a Ganger Chieftain, so a lot of opportunity to fight once pile of skulls goes out. But it's getting that pile of skulls out, which is uh, sometimes the, the trickier part of this deck. But it's it's a lot of fun to play, and when it combos off, it combos off real good.
1: I think the thing that I remember about this deck as well is that even when you didn't get the combo off, it could still hold its own reasonably well, like thanks to the Miasmas being allowing you to like do some some key control, and thanks to Brobnar being really strong. So, I mean, even in games where it's like, oh man, the sting is like in the last three cards mm-hmm. in my draw pile, it could still hold its own reasonably well, especially in the Coda era.
0: Yeah, it, that is true.
2: And with the, even though the speed is low, with the number of artifacts that you have, once they're on the board, they're not cycling back through your deck. So you're actually yeah. getting through your deck
1: faster.
0: Hmm. Yes, that's true.
1: Man, Sydney, I hadn't even ever thought about that, but that's something that, like, <laughs> that's huge. Like a high artifact count deck being able to, you know, just thin out your deck by keeping artifacts on the board when artifact control is still, like, generally speaking, either a targeted or not super common thing. That's 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 a non-zero factor. Yeah, Absolutely. that's a good point.
0: I've never thought about that either, but it's it's 100% true.
1: I knew it was a good idea to have you back on. <laughs> <laughs> uh, my last deck that I want to talk about today is a very recent uh, Mass Mutation deck opening. Um, a couple months back, it was opened up. Um, actually, you know what? It might have been as far back as almost the summertime. Uh, but really, it's one that I found myself just returning to over and over and over, despite the fact that it is not the winningest deck in my <laughs> stable. In fact, it loses quite a lot. But the thing that I found is that this deck, Periodically Incredible Arlen, is that it is periodically incredible. And I found <laughs> that synergy between name and and the way that the deck behaved really, really just compelling. And it made me want to keep playing the deck to see if I could get it to go off. So a couple of interesting things about it. I think that the key to this one is using Mercy Malkin Queen. So if you're not familiar with Mercy, she's a skirmish creature, human witch. After a friendly cat creature enters play, ward it, sure, good power. But also fight, ready a friendly beast creature. This is also a deck that has Loomilu. Now Loomilu is a beast cat that has the power of a reap, gain one for each other friendly beast. Beast creature so you can pull off these big kind of complex turns where mercy fights and then you ready Lumi loo and sometimes get off two separate reaps which can then get you a ton of extra amber um, while also allowing you to use like your flumps and stuff like that other beast cat creatures in ways that are, are pretty helpful um outside of that uh, I will say that I think that this is a not great Shadows house. Um, it's kind of got a little bit of everything, but it's not great at anything that you would hope that Shadows would be. But I do have a ton of fun with the logos. Um, Auto Encoder, obviously a card that needs no introduction. Effervescent Principle is great for Amber Control. Two Daughters, an even Ivan, a Prescriptive Grammarbot, a couple of Kixo the Adventurers. So it's just a nice grab bag of stuff that happens in Logos, and I find that no matter what turn I'm playing, unless it's a very Shadows heavy turn, I'm very much feeling like I'm getting to do stuff, and that stuff is fun, and it's moving the game along, and it's changing the state of what's happening, and so it's never a boring deck to play, no matter what it's playing against. Now, it's going to get smushed by (laughs) most decks that are even, like, moderately better than it, just because it doesn't really excel at generating amber out of that one combo and it doesn't have a ton of amber control but i do have fun playing it even in those games just because even when i'm losing it feels like i'm doing stuff i never feel like i'm getting locked down locked out having a boring turn Mm, that's really important i like that it
2: also is incredibly useful that the extra bonus icons are capture pips because of the sheer number of creatures you have in this deck
1: Mm mm-hmm yeah so it has no powerhouse creatures at all like everything's pretty small but being able to spread it out across your battle line and make people deal with it that way is a lot of fun plus you know having things like boss zarek where it gives uh, friendly creatures elusive really helpful in that sense
0: mm-hmm, for sure and um would you both be okay if i put links to these in the show notes all these decks absolutely, absolutely. perfect that way people can uh take a gander at these if they so desire
1: if folks have been listening to this episode and have enjoyed it, what we would love to hear about is what some of your favorite decks are and why. So please hit us up on Twitter. We're at HFFS Podcast. Tell us what one of your favorite, not necessarily competitive, but decks that you keep returning to over and over because something about them really speaks to you as a player. Something reflects them uh, reflects the way that you like to play the game and what you enjoy about KeyForge. We cannot end an episode of this podcast without the titular segment. It's called Help
0: from Future Future Self.
1: Self. Blake, I understand you have one for us this week.
0: Yes. And this is not so much a Help from Future Self from playing Keyforge, but it's more through consuming Keyforge, and mainly because I have been privileged enough to get some good sales since the start of the year and come into uh, quite a few decks. So first, I obviously had that AOA crazy sale that we had and now this french world's is happening and i just noticed something when you get a glut of decks and not everyone's going to be the same way but just a word to the wise in terms of uh, depending on how you want to consume your key Just i found i was very diligent about only opening the decks when i was creating content for my youtube very simple or i think maybe on stream i did like a couple and i was using it as a means to do something interesting generate content all that sort of stuff but I got to a point with AOA, and it was right before I... I was actually after a second box, because I had 12 decks worth of starters, and then I had a box. And when I was getting to the end of that second box, I noticed started to feel that excitement that existed at the beginning, because I hadn't been in AOA for a while, started to diminish, and it started to feel like a chore. Because there are some things in AOA that can be quite frustrating, mm-hmm. uh, such as low Ember Control, when you get Logos, Brabnar, and tamed over and over and over again. So... <laughs> It made me realize when I, I should have stopped actually opening those boxes and just chilled. Because when I had that excitement to open up AOA, it was way more fun. I was way more into it. I was less bitter about getting certain combinations of houses that were less productive than others. And and now, since I have these New Worlds Collide French decks, I'm, I now have this philosophy that I have learned this from the past, and now I'm going to continue it here. Whereas if I don't feel excited to open up a deck, I'm not going to do it just for the sake of creating content. I have other videos I can create, but I think you as a player should think the same thing is if you're not excited to open a deck, don't just open it to find if it's the best thing, like feel that excitement of what you could discover. And if not, maybe chill because we all have enough decks. I think
1: (laughs) good advice, very sage and something that I'm going to keep in mind since it's so easy to get into that. I got a box in front of me, so I'm going to open it mindset. And then suddenly you're not even like thinking about the decks you're opening. You're just this looks crap. This looks good. This looks okay. Mm-hmm. You know, you, you, you don't engage with the decks individually. You can of course find us on Twitter at HFFS podcast. You can find me at scuzzy on Instagram, on Twitter, and on the crucible Sydney, where can they find you?
2: I am SC steel. on both discord
1: and TCO. Excellent. Blake, where can they find you? What do you got going on?
0: Oh, right now I'm just working through my Parlez-vous Francais series, which is me opening up French Worlds Collide decks and trying my best not to butcher the French language more so than I already have. <laughs> um, yeah, and that's pretty much it right now on my YouTube, which is under Boulevard Paper Fight, and my Twitter is Boulevard Blake, same on TCO if you catch me in the ABR League right now.
1: Blake, je suis très fier de vous. C'est magnifique. <laughs> Impressive.
0: Yeah, don't even sound anything like that when I do it.
1: Don't, don't even <laughs> ask me. I did 12 years of immersion, and, and uh, I've lost the vast majority of it. But uh, every once in a while, I can still bust a little bit out. Sydney, do you think you might be able to join us for another week?
2: Maybe. Oh, of course.
1: All right. Excellent. <laughs> I love to hear it. It's always a pleasure to have you on the show. Until next time, stay for